I'm supposed to be starting the podcast, but I'm busy smelling right now, so I'm going to put that over to you, Manny. Well, welcome to our new studio here at uh, Domaine de Chateau something or other. <laughs> you know, we look very professional, but we still don't sound. Yeah, no, this, so. is, a, this is a backdrop. This, these are not real bottles behind us. Uh, welcome to Bottom of the Bottle. I'm Andy Gonzalez. This is Adam Cataldo, and today we are in. Uh, where are we today? We're in the Loire. We're in the Loire. And do you have any questions about the music? As we... I, I I do. That was very pretty. It's, it's kind of. Sometimes we do pretty music because there's a soulful voice or whatnot, but that was particularly. So uh, what I'm looking for. Pretty. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I used it already. There you go. So that was specifically Queen. Uh, from their first album, uh, just entitled Queen, and that was their song, Doing All Right. Um, and I picked it because, well, first and foremost, when I first started like doing music wine pairings, it was really Bordeaux, that was kind of the catalyst, and the left bank Bordeaux is, uh, leads up under the right bank is Queen, because it's nuanced and layered and harmonious, I think especially when you get to some of their later stuff. Um, but there's something about the wine, the red wines of the Loire Valley that are very floral, um, they're lean, that's a very pared down begin, intro to a song, although it does pick up uh, later, we'll hear at the end. And it just reminds me of kind of this real clean, fresh, bright, vibrant, but pretty style of wines from the Loire. I, it makes sense to me. It's, you're getting, why am I blanking on the music? I'm losing my voice right now. Really, Adam? Really? I'm going to blank on it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to it'll, it'll come to me a half hour from now, and I'm going to interrupt him in whatever monologue he's doing, and, and, and it'll just come. <laughs> but the are you focused on, focused on his voice, right? So it's yeah. the, the very talented musicians in Queen, but in that particular song, it's he's, his, his voice is, is up front. Uh, and it makes sense with both these wines where the, the we talk about the old world wine, all sorts of layers of flavor. Manny and I are all over Old World, as you know, and the fruit is really speaking here. Yeah, which is nice too. Which it, it, it's, it's at the it's at the center, which it, it isn't always. There's a secondary, tertiary structure and whatnot, but um, the fruit is really shining in both these wines right now. Just like his voice. Yeah, uh, I'm just gonna just realize my. I'm gonna turn my airplane mode on. So. I think we should keep that in. Don't edit that out. Why Don't edit that, that out. out. Why not? <clears throat> no, I mean, that that's absolutely like, once again, you never cease to amaze me. No, no, you never <laughs> To surprise you. To surprise me, yes. Um, because, you know, we're talking about a single varietal here. Both these wines are the same varietal. Um, today we have two wines, one from uh, Domaine de Orms, and the other one is... Le Venoble de Paradis uh, from Chinon. The other one's from Andrew Samor um, in the, the middle of the Loire in two different districts. Um, both wines are focused on fruit. Cabernet Franc really takes center stage. And, and to me, it is like Freddie Mercury's voice. That there's some austerity, there's some power, there's some tannin, 
there's some acidity. He let it slip. Freddie Mercury, Damn. there you go. See, I, I knew it was going to come out eventually. Um, <laughs> and I, now I've broken his train of thought as well. I know. Well, so I've, just, I know. I've gone and ruined everything. So yeah, the, these are actually new new wines for us. But they just yeah. came in, I think, last week. And I remember when we got to taste these as a group um, like two months ago, three months ago. And what was really cool is that the same varietal, the same style of winemaking, you know, different vintages, but aromatically, um, the, the structure of the wines are so different that it's kind of exciting to see like what one single varietal like Cabernet Franc can do. And literally the, the, the Appalachians, Samoa and Chinon are right next to each other. They're not yeah. very far, um, but completely different, different animals. And this is why, I mean, we said this about Chardonnay before and Pinot before, when you say, oh, I, I love Chardonnay or I love Pinot or I dislike them, in many ways you've effectively told us nothing because depending on where it comes from and, and winemaker's intent and all sorts of other you know, conditions, you just might not have found the one you like yet. The, these two wines mm -hmm. on the nose, I, I haven't even tried them yet because the noses are so compelling, are just dramatically different. And yet, he, Manny just went through it, same place virtually in France, side-by-side -side areas, and two totally different wines. So Cab Franc can be many different things, as can Chard, as can Pinot, and every other great variety out there. Absolutely, and you know, kind of tying it back to Queen um, from the intro, and Freddie Mercury, um, you know, on the right bank, your main varietal typically is Merlot, but there's a lot of Cabernet Franc, and that really, yeah. to me, gives this kind of velvety, um, aromatic, it definitely gives a little more acidity to Chardonnay, which, or to Merlot, rather, which is typically not a, a, a high acid varietal, although they, they can be, but in the right climate. But what I think is really cool, in the Loire in general, I mean, we have one kind of basic area here um, and I just thought it'd be fun to do a side-by-side -side comparison. We typically don't do like comparative tastings when we're doing these, but the diversity within the Loire yeah. is incredible. Um, you know, it is, I think it's the, it's the number one region for white wines in France. It's the number two region for sparkling. Um, the Loire River is the longest river in France. You know, we typically think of these regions as being just a very simple little we lump them all together, but but the diversity in climate, in soils, in uh, geology, in the Loire is vast. I mean, there are four main regions. There's the Pénante uh, in the west, where you have Muscadet. Then you have Anjou Samor, where you get actually we don't have them today, but uh, we're going to be getting in a wine from Savignier uh, called Clos de Papillon, which is a single vineyard that's only owned by three estates. That is phenomenal. Um, Chin Blanc, 100%. Um, and then you have some more, which is a mixture of whites and reds based typically on Chin Blanc and um, Cap Franc, but there's some other varietals in there. And then you have Touraine, which is where Chinon, uh, Chinon is at. And then you finish in the central vineyards, which is not the center of the Loire. It's the western or the eastern side of the Loire, but the center of France. And it's actually closer to Chablis than it is to these vineyards here yeah. and in the upper vineyards which are actually in the south so I mean there's like it's, it's incredible how much diversity there is in, in wines in I this mean, region with the way we, we break down the rest of other regions you know it could almost 
all four separate parts of of the law could be their own region. <clears throat> we just lump them all together because because we do. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you can make an argument that they should all be separate and distinct, which is why they have the the AOC system is so confusing. You know, when I first started doing this, someone told me France would be the easiest thing to learn compared to Italy. Because Italy, depending on what part of the country you're in, the grape varieties change their names so they don't like their neighbor. Uh, you know, the, you have Vino Nobile de Montepulciano, which is a town, versus Montepulciano de Bruzzo, which is a grape, and all these confusing, all these confusing things, right? And we say France is easier. When you actually break it down, France is just as aggravating and, and difficult to learn in many ways as, as Italy. But the there are basic tenets that if you can hold on to, you can figure it out. So uh, either way, the wines are gorgeous, and that's really why we're, we're drinking them, because they're, they're gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, and they, it is the third largest in terms of appellations that are created, too. So there was one more. It was like a one, two, three punch um, with the Loire. But we typically think of them as just being, I mean, first of all, Sancerre, um, and, and Pui Fume, but I think really Sancerre is kind of the, the, the shining star, which is such, in terms of volume production, and we're seeing it now with, with bad vintages they've had, yeah. um, the central vineyards account for maybe 10% total production. Yeah. The, the bulk, about two-thirds of production, come from these two areas here. And you know you have these wines that can anywhere between a, like relatively sweet so for example Cabernet d'Anjou yeah I think it's a minimum of 10 grams of sugar per liter yeah um, and then Corte Chambre, which is Chenin Blanc dessert wine kind of a, a Grand Cru uh, village uh, it's 85 grams a minimum of, sh of sugar per liter so 8.5 percent <laughs> it's like drinking honey it's fabulous yeah but acid I mean that's like really the key and I think acidity is the key in general with Loire you know, and then like, so let's kind of, let's jump back a little bit if we can. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about some kind of important, why is the Loire an important region? And I think one of those has to do with in the 11th century when it was Eleanor of Aquitaine married um, Celt Henri of Anjou, who became the Duke of Normandy, who later became Henry II in England that kept like an English rule for like 300 years. Yes. And it was like such an important trading route. If you control, I say this all the time, wine regions other than Burgundy were pretty much set for political motives. Even Burgundy, I guess, was because it was the, the monks and, and you know, kind of with a rift with the kings. But, you know, like if you controlled the Loire, you controlled pretty much trade from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to Paris. Yeah. Exactly. And the, the other thing, too, is that what Loire became, it's a beautiful area of France. So this is one of the places where kings built additional chateaux. So, you know, you want to make, you want to build a vacation home? We, we talk about Provence, but they vacationed in Provence. They built the chateau in the Loire. Um, I believe the Loire, actually, because of all the, the chateau, is uh, a World Heritage Site mm -hmm. for, the, as a region in, in totality, because there's just so much history steeped in there with, uh, with the monarchy of France. Uh, it, lots of, there's a lot, there's a lot of political power that was situated there. Yeah. Um, beyond that, just marriage and being close to England. Because, I mean, Bordeaux had, you, you, you controlled a lot of trade in the Loire, but you did if you were in Bordeaux too. So there, there was more going on there. Remember, Bordeaux didn't have all, the, the Dutch did not fill in Bordeaux for another 500 years after, you know, uh, that, that marriage. Yeah. 
in with Henry the Second and Eleanor of Aquitaine. So, the again the history. I mean, I say it all the time, the history of one is the history of the world. The history of anything is the history of the world, right? <laughs> it's, it's just, it just is what it is. But we, I think we don't view it that way. And it, it, it's really cool and unique to see how these things you know, fit together. Um, what about History of the World Part 1? That's, That's a good movie. That's a good movie. Oh, yeah. So when you're talking about the Chateau, so there's actually a saying in the Loire is that the Loire is the queen for kings because all the kings of, of France and throughout Europe built these fabulous chateaus. Yeah. You know, and then once the trains came, it changed and it became really more of a, of a tourist destination. It is actually, I think it's the number four tourist destination outside of Paris, the French Riviera, and Provence. Oh, wow. Which is kind of crazy to think about. You know, yeah. I learned that this morning. No, they see. Doing his research. <laughs> That's why he's the expert, ladies and gentlemen. So, like another big thing that happened actually within our second one, uh, within the Paradise, like Shinon, where the Paradise comes from, was in, I think it was 1426. I don't know if you know the story. That's the history person. Um, I, if you tell me it, I will tell you. Know. There is a, uh, this is where jo Joan of Arc yes. uh, convinced. You beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you. you no, 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 go ahead. Right? You're on a roll. Go no, ahead. no, no, no. That's all I know. No, yeah, this, this is so. Um... Yeah, so Joan of Arc, I forget who she convinced, but it was the to, to rebel and against the to uprise against the crown. Yeah. And, and start the rebellion. And, and so we you know, we, there's that famous picture of her and whatnot. That entire or oh, painting, excuse me. That entire process started in, in the Loire Valley in Chinon. Yeah. And I'm gonna bring the Alright, so this is the bottle here for those of you that are watching the video feed. Of this beautiful Chenin Blanc, it's it. So it's a hundred percent Chenin Blanc Cabernet Franc from Chinon. So this is where it gets confusing too. Um, and then like Blancs, Francs, Blancs, Francs, yeah. Chenin, uh, Chinon, it's, you know, it's all the. What I think is really cool about Cabernet Franc in general. First of all, I think it's a great food wine, but it is a wine that every single Napa drinker admirer, fanatic, fan, collector, whatever, owes their appreciation of wine to because this is one of the parent varietals to Cabernet Sauvignon. Yes. Made a baby with Sauvignon Blanc, Blanc, the savage vine, and um, and created one of the most richly structured red wines, all from this very floral, somewhat delicate, high-tone, minerally, high-acid wine. Because you said floral, and we're drinking the Chinon right now. The flowers on this nose, that I mean, it's like you just stuck your nose into a bouquet of flowers with, with, with this. It's absolutely gorgeous. You know, it's the, the winemaking process has come a long way, and I, I tell people all the time who are new to wine that how you can tell difference between a, a a bad wine is a wine that's turned, either it's cooked or it's gone to vinegar or whatnot, versus a wine that's okay. When you stick your nose in the glass, you'll if you're repulsed by it, that's a, that, that's a bad wine, right? Yeah. Like it's, it, there's, we've come so far with winemaking. If you stick your nose in the glass and you're like, mm, the, the, the wine is bad at that point. You can recognize that. You don't have to be a talented wine person to do that. But when you stick, you can still have degrees of how much you enjoy it. Is it pretty? Is it, is it, um, is it fruity? Like what, what is it? And 
I mean, if you found someone who did not say that this that this nose was gorgeous, I mean, it's legit. It's like walking into a a, a florist. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so so, and it leaps out of the glass. You don't have to you don't have to fish for it. It's just there as you as you raise the glass. It's. It, it reminds me a little bit. I mean, not to compare completely different varietals, <laughs> although that, that this varietal grows here. Uh, but when we did the um, barrel wines from Bichot and you were drinking the Fleury, just that kind of like white flower, bright raspberry, um, really, really super fresh. And I love that you just said that too, because he said white flower, we're drinking red wine. Normally we just think in our heads, white, you know, white flowers, you're only going to get out of, out of white wine. No, you absolutely get, I mean, I get some lilacs, I get some roses, but I, I get a little bit of honeysuckle on this. I mean, mm -hmm. I, it's... Oh, it's, I definitely pulled that out. It's, it, do not, I mean, you, sh you shouldn't necessarily be getting like raspberry in a white wine, right? Uh, but when we're talking about floral component, you could, you can absolutely get a white flower in a red wine and a, and a red flower in a white wine and, and vice versa. It doesn't have to happen all the time, but it can happen. Absolutely. Also, if you smell it or taste it, it's there. Don't let anybody tell you you don't. Your palate, your palate. So I don't think I've said that in like six months, but <laughs> don't, let, don't let someone talk down to you and tell you that you're not smelling or tasting what you think you smell or taste. It's yeah. your, your palate is your memory and your memories are your own and no one can tell you they're wrong. So exactly. And what I think is, was what's really cool about the wines of the Loire in general, I think other than Sancerre and Puy Fume, um, when you think about what you're going to pay as a consumer, either in a restaurant or in a retail store, you know, you're, both of these wines are, are well under $20 a bottle, yeah, which yeah. is just crazy to think about. And, um, and the same with most of the white wines, other than like Sauvignon, you're looking at a $35 to $45 bottle of wine. They're, the dessert wines here can be really expensive, but yeah. they're gorgeous. And, and I would say, the, you know, we're not drinking white today, but the white wines of the Loire, I think, can outlive Burgundy, yeah, you nice. know, easily, uh, with just the intensive, the intense acidity, their floral component. They do get also in this area, more in Anjou, not a little bit in, in um, uh, Chinon, but in Anjou some more because they're closer to the Atlantic Ocean. It's a little more humid. And the soils, which are called tufa soils, which are these um, chalky clay or chalky limestone soils, um, they have a lot of water retention. And so you get a lot of botrytis in, in the yeah. wines, that kind of noble rot that gives it this almost like spun sugar, reduced honey kind of yeah. raisin thing. and Actually, so like the Domaine de Forge, um, Côte de Papillon, I think probably like a quarter of that vineyard actually gets botrytis. Oh, that's And cool. they make still wines, like uh, dry wines out of it. Um, you don't really see that in the reds too much. And here, usually with the red wines, we're typically more sandy soils, um, a little more gravel. There's still some limestone, there's still a good amount of clay, which really gives a lot of acidity and finesse to the wines, but it's that, that gravel um, just off the river that gives, I think, absorbs a little more heat and can give the wine a little more fruit, which I think is what you want with a, with a red. 100%. I think what's cool about what you said, too, the, the, the Middle Loire, in many ways, has... The Middle Loire is home to... I mean, we're drinking Cabernet Franc, which is really important, great, makes beautiful wonderfully complex wine, absolutely fabulous, at great values. And you also have Chenin Blanc, and they might be the two most underrated grapes, 
that we talk about. We don't talk about, I mean, you said it with, with the white wines outliving Burgundy. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about Chenin Blanc in that way. Because you weren't talking about Sancerre, you were talking about Sauvignon. You were talking, I mean, yeah. maybe a couple Sancerre, sure, but in, but in general, we're talking about Chenin Blanc and in, in, in the in the structure of that wine. We we don't talk about Rouvray in the same way we talk about, you know, the uh, you know, Pouy Fousset. We probably should. We don't talk about Sauvignon the same way that we talk about, you know, uh, Premier Cru and, and and Grand Cru, you know, White Burgundy. We probably should. Those wines can go forever. They're magically complex. And it's so underappreciated. Like people, I mean, Chenin Blanc might be so shot in that because of because of where you grow it and how it can change and be different. It's ageability. And it's it's there's a reason why it's the most popular white grape in the world for all intents and purposes. You know, Riesling again gets kind of a knock for being sweet, but depending on where you grow it, the the acidity, the complexity. There's so many cool things. Chenin Blanc might be might be the third most interesting white grape on the planet as far as the complexity that you can get, where it can grow, the type of wine that you get. We don't talk about it that way at all. And some of the coolest Chenin Blancs in the world come out, I mean, my, again, I'm a French snob, that's who I am. Sauvignon <laughs> makes the coolest Chenin Blanc in the world. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's magical and we don't, we don't talk about it enough. So that, and again, price-wise, you can find a cool one as we're looking for value now with everything that's going on in the world. Uh, Try one, you know. Go into your wine shop, ask for one, ask for a, ask for one of these because you don't, you can't afford to buy the. Your Napa Cab is now forty bucks, and you don't have forty bucks to spend. Yeah, you 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 would love these ones, love these ones. They're really important and they're undervalued, and they're out there to be had. Yeah. you just have to ask. And what I think is really really cool. So I, I did um, last week. I was I was interviewed by my friend Bruno, who was. Uh, he is the brand ambassador for Pinot Verde as the region. Um, he's a, a Portuguese wine advocate. Um, he actually works with Folio to uh, represent the Crosta wines. Oh, cool. He's a good friend of Philippe Andre, who apparently they just had. Thanks for the invite, by the way. Uh, the 200th celebration of Charles Heitzig in New York, Steve Ziner went to it, didn't invite us. Thanks, Steve. Um, Steve. <laughs> and they had Champagne Charlie there, like the, their kind of limited release, which I think we actually might be getting some. But um, so I worked with Bruno about a month ago, a month and a half ago, and you know he invited me to come on to do a summation live. But we talked really more about music, I think, than anything else. But you know he's really into prog rock, and he's really into Tool, and he's into um, uh, Dream Theater. Uh, really cool. His family comes from, I think his mother is from Mozambique. His father is from one of the um, islands off of the coast of Africa. Uh, they moved to Portugal where he was born outside of Lisbon. And um, But he's a drummer and we just had this amazing conversation. And, and the point that he made when we were talking about prog rock was to understand Tool, to understand dream theater, which are like you know super geeky band. Well, Tool's just like awesome, but like, yeah. um, like every measure in Dream Theater is a different time signature, different key, different whatever. You got to go back and you got to like listen to Rush, and then you got to listen to Jethro Tull, and you listen to Yes and yeah. Emerson, Lincoln Palmer, and Led Zeppelin, and then they start to make sense. And my point was that when you're talking about uh, varietals from the Loire, Chenin Blanc, Cabernet Franc, you got to start the Loire. 
and then they start to make sense elsewhere. Because if you take a Chenin Blanc from South Africa or from California, um, you're, you'll understand what, what the wine is like, but you really get the true characteristic of Cabernet Franc in particular, I think, when you're in the Loire. Because the way the climate is, all these different subregions, the diversity within the soils, aspect of the sun, all these different things. But when you take this same grape to, excuse me, to um, the right bank in Bordeaux, it starts to act a little differently. When you take it to Tuscany, um, and it you know goes in Sessacaya or um, Ludovic Antonori for his his wines, uh, Becerno are based on Cabernet Franc. Yeah. They're gorgeous wines, and you get some of that that kind of smoky aroma that Cabernet Franc has, but you get just a much different, richer, sweeter structure. You get a richer, sweeter structure out of California. But here, these wines are lean, they're minerally. That really shows to me, like, what is the idea of terroir? This is it right here, you know, because this these wines are different. The Domaine de Orme, here, from Somaranjou. Once again, both wines are aged, I believe, in stainless steel. There's really not much in the way of oak, but this wine's a little older. It's two years older, but to me, the fruit is a little riper. It's a little more plummy. And that smoky quality is a little more impactful, but still like a lot of acidity and a lot of tannin to these wines. I think the coolest part about the, all those wines you just listed for the most part, you know, Sasakaya, Viserno, the right bank of Bordeaux. When we talk about those wines, we're talking about Cap Franc as a blending grape. It might be it might be the primary grape in the blend, depending on who's making it and what they want to do and whatnot. Eh? But, you know, 50, 60 percent, 70 percent and so on. We're talking about 100 percent Cabernet Franc right now. I mean, that, that's terroir right there is they're not viewing this as a blending grape. They're viewing this as we can make badass wine with this varietal here without we, we don't need to fix it, which, you know, that might have. You blend to make a better wine for all intents and purposes, mm -hmm. right? Is that what, whatever you're getting, you, do, you, you it might be fine, but you think you can make a better wine if you, you know, mix around and mix barrels. And it's why you mix vineyards and why you mix plots and so on. And it's, it's totally cool. You're trying to make a better product for all of us. They're saying here, no, we don't need to. We're, we're at the spot where we can make Cabernet Franc by itself be its best expression. And we don't need Capsop to, to make it prettier. We don't need Merlot to make it prettier. We don't need anything else to, to, to bring life to this wine. And in California, you will see a, a, you'll see a, a few 100% Cap Francs. They, they exist. Yeah. Um, but you know, even with those, I would say you're going to find a, a, a splash of Merlot or a splash of Cab in many of those instances just to, to even it out. This is the this is the spot where no nope, no nope, we're we're good we don't need any of that and again that that that's terroir is that yeah. we we're we're we might not be better than Napa or Bordeaux or South Africa or whatever the the region is in general but we can ripen the scrape to a point where it doesn't need anything else and that's that that, that that's terroir that's cool yeah and to to go you know monovarietal on in a region that does suffer uh, climatically. I mean, mm -hmm. it can be really cool, it can be really damp. Um, as we get further west, it or east rather, it definitely gets uh, drier. So like once we get to Chinon, uh, through the, you know, the village of Toro, Touraine, um, Vouvray, Mont-Louis, 
um, and then you can go further on to the central vineyards, you definitely get, it gets much drier, more of like a classic continental climate. Um, but in Samoa, it's, it's, it can be really challenging. And yeah. even in, in uh, the central, even in Sancerre, I mean, we had it with what we saw in Chablis this past, you know, yeah. 2001, where there was crazy frost. And like I said, they're closer to Chablis, Sancerre, than they are to Samoa. Um, and so you have more of those influences, which is also why we see actually Sauvignon Blanc in, in Chablis with a little appellation called Sambri. Um, but it's basically within the zone of Chablis. Uh, I, but that makes more sense now we think about it. It's closer to Chablis than it is, and Chablis closer to to Saint-Saëns than the rest of <laughs> the rest of Burgundy. Yeah. So it makes total sense. It's it's the it's, it's why before France is hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it makes me wonder though, like if Sauvignon Blanc, for example, every other country that grows it, they're always coastal. Yeah. You know, but where it comes from it's not it's a continental climate it's a cool climate too and i say the same thing with chardonnay it's a cool climate varietal you know you can grow it in warm climates and it and you can still make some good wines but it's different than yeah. than these cooler climates and cap franc is the same you know dariush makes a really good cap franc from napa but it is riper it is richer it is rounder definitely these are 12 and a half percent alcohol so you're probably 14 and a half so there's just more extraction. Then we start seeing a lot of oak aging, more manipulation, I think, from the winemakers, which, once again, still make good wines. They make yeah. great wines, actually. But yeah. um, here we get to see, in its essence what, essence, what this funky, sometimes stinky, yeah. in a great way varietal can do. Uh, Darius Capronk is stunning mm -hmm. wine. It's just not this. <laughs> it's just dramatically different. You know that there's a there's a plush velvety texture to Darius Cab Franc that you're never gonna get out of out of Loire because you just don't have that climate. Yeah. You, you know, it's it's just not there. Um, one's not right or wrong. It's just that that would have been a funky comparison tasting to have one of those next to, to these. Yeah. Also, because Pratt, like, and this is not knocking Darius. That's three times the cost of these, mm -hmm. right? And complexity wise. I think these hold up. Yeah. And again, I don't mean that as a knock on Dariush. I mean that as a compliment to this region of the world and these two wines, is that you can get some cool, complex, amazing wine without necessarily that, that, that price tag. And Dariush is worth the price tag. I'm not saying that it, it's, it's beautiful wine. I love that wine. Uh, but there's some there's underappreciated regions. You know, real estate is half the battle when it comes to the cost of a wine. Yeah. And if you've never heard of these two before, that's why the, the, the cost is a little <laughs> it's a little lower because the real estate's not as expensive for the vineyards, right? It, yep. it, it's crazy. Um, but the, the wines are absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I, I keep coming back to this, the, the Chinon, because that nose is just, it's so pretty. Yeah, and it's, I think there's a vibrancy to it. Um, I had the, uh, last week I actually had the, the S'more, and, um, I was just in, so enamored with it. And first and foremost, this is a wine that's 15 bucks, 16 bucks, right? Um, and the packaging looks classic, it looks clean, it's really well made, it's a well made package. Um, so it's the kind of thing too, like you can bring to someone's house and they're gonna think you spent more money than you actually did. Right. And that's the great thing about the Loire, is that you can great, get great values from like, the Appalachian of Samoa or Chinon and bring it to a friend's house and they're gonna think, 
like, geez, you really threw down, like, <laughs> sucker. So, you know, when you have to go to someone's house that you don't like, but you want them to think that you like them, Y Valley's your best bet. Exactly. And that happens more, I mean, <laughs> admit it, it happens more often than you want it to. It does, we all have to deal with it. Your kids have friends and you have to deal with their parents, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I tend not to. I just go to. I just go to my room. <laughs> point, like Did that. you know Manny was a seventeen-year-old? You know, yeah. Seventeen-year-old, um, <laughs> just like yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm just gonna put my headphones on and yeah. head to my room. Pretty much. Well, when we have friends come over and we do a lot of eating, a lot of drinking, there's a certain point when I actually just go back to the couch and I fall asleep when I'm done with the conversation. And people just think it's because I ate too much and drank too much, and that's only part of it. The, the, the reality is, I just don't feel like talking. To You're done with them. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Yeah, you know, I do that with my kids. Yeah, I pretend to be asleep. I mean, it would be great if you can actually. You're having a bunch of people over your house, and you're having dinner, and you're eating, and you're drinking, and then in the middle of conversation, you can just say, "All right, you guys can go," <laughs> <laughs> and then go to your room. Uh, we had a we had a a, a coworker do that. Once we had a, I will, he will remain nameless. We had a get together out at a, at a restaurant and he showed up and you could tell that he had a couple glasses of wine before he came to the event. And wait, is, is this me? It's not you. Okay, good. And he had been, he had been feeling <laughs> it. And, uh, you know, he, we can't, we had, we had this awesome dinner. It was fabulous. He sat next to me and at, you know, three bites into dinner, he stopped, got really quiet, turned to me and went, I'm going home. <laughs> he got up and he just, he just left. Just, I'm, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. I, I, I've had enough of you people. I've had enough of this. I'm, I'm going home. Is it, was, it, was it Coogan? It was not. No, it was not no, Coogan. Coogan can throw it back. No. Yeah. Um, is it someone that still works here? Yes. Yes. Was it Preventure? No. Are you no. kidding? <laughs> He would not embarrass faith in that way. Stop it. Yeah, no, I know. You know, um, he's in France anyway, so he's he is, he's, and he so he's so again coworker in France in Champagne right now. Sent me like six pitches of the the cellar at Charles Heidzik, and then after you know making me completely jealous, wish you were here. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I, I, keep on, I keep on getting um, emails from Tom Tellier, and then. Uh, was it Tom? It was not Tom. No. I, and uh, I just sent him a nephew. <laughs> that's it. So, uh, it's fabulous. Yeah. But the Loire would be a good place to go. Right? Yeah. That's a, anyone listening, that'd be a fun incentive. Steve, do you listen? Steve, do you listen? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't think Steve listens. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Good, good job, guys. Good job, guys. That's about it. Um, yeah, so these are, I mean, what do you, what do you think about these wines, like, in general? I, I think they're awesome. Um, it's the, you, you're never going to find them, I should, you're never going to find them on your own in, in many ways, because even, I hate saying this, the retail stores are set up in such a way, I shouldn't say, most retail are set up in such a way, so that the consumer can walk in and just find, you know, what, it, it's, it's for ease of shopping, right? Yeah. Not for the prettiest wine. Uh, which is why I could never own a retail store, be out of business in five minutes, because no one would know anything that I carried, and it's just, it is what it is. <laughs> hey guys, right when Adam was finished talking about why you should go seek these wines out in the retail stores, because they're not in the most obvious place, like your favorite 
California Chardonnay or Pinot. I don't know if you guys can hear, but my dog is panting in the background because it's warm today. I think you can hear him. Anyways, we had a little bit of technical difficulty and the uh, sound cut out. And it started picking up again when I was talking about food wine pairings. More specifically, how sometimes it's counterintuitive because the big, rich, heavy dishes we often pair with big, rich, heavy wines. Those big, rich, heavy wines come from places like the Mediterranean, they come from places like California, where the food is actually very clean and very fresh and very light because they have access to beautiful produce all year round. Contrary to popular belief, in the regions like the Loire or Champagne or Germany for that matter, the dishes are big, rich and heavy. It's not simple salads all the time with your delicate Sauvignon Blanc or Cabernet Franc or Riesling. It's a lot of braises, it's a lot of rich, heavy cheeses. And that's pretty much where I picked up back again. Uh, the cheese I was talking about that I couldn't remember is called Lazy Lady Farms out of Vermont. It is baller. Go buy that cheese. So, you know, they might have some like stews and things like that, but it's, it's very seasonal because you can grow seasonally in the south of France. You can't really do it here. So in the wintertime, it's a lot of raisins and the cheeses are these kind of rich, creamy, fatty, salty cheeses, goat cheese that works soup. Actually had this last week with this goat cheese. It was a, came from Vermont. I forget what it was, the, what it was called, but it was a Loire style goat cheese that I left out because it was a really warm day and it was literally like soup in a little bowl. And it was all I did awesome. the entire day beforehand because I was, I basically my lunch went up before I did my thing with um, Bruno. I got some baguette, I had some jamon iberico, I had a little bit of an orange marmalade, and I had this funky, salty, gooey French cheese, and I made a sandwich out of it. And I had it initially with, and initially with my Sauvignon, and then had more of that with, with this one, and it was just like, Super money. So they're like super friendly, food friendly wines. I mean, this, not so much the, the, the Chinon, um, maybe with the Chinon. The Samoa, I, I think this wine is, is food friendly enough. I would drink that with a Reese's peanut butter cup. Like I think it will work. Like I, yeah. it's got the like it'll cut through the fattiness of that uh, that peanut butter sugar middle, right? Like it'll 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 cut through that and balance the sweetness. Um, and I normally like uh, pairing wine with candy is one of those things you find at Halloween and it's it's kind of cutesy and and whatnot. Um, but that's how diverse I think that. The structure of this wine is is that it will you know like yeah like if you're if you're home and you have a you, you need a sweet fix and you're gonna resist <laughs> like floating around like indulge yourself man like i might i might get one out of the vending machine <laughs> and, and do it just to see like because i'm like i thought about it 10 minutes ago like I, I i could have a reese's with this i could it would kill my wife because she's allergic to peanuts so i, I won't actually do it but <laughs> but in my mind what i remember it being yeah that would work i mean it's that's a really crazy way of saying just it, I think it will go with a wide variety of, of foods. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Don't and like afraid. going back to even the, the wines are pretty tannic. Like they're not, it's not like soft, simple wine. Yeah. 
It's just that there's not a lot of like intense like ripe fruit in the center of the palate. So you, you get hit with an aromatic, you get hit with some more of like a like a fresh fruit kind of thing to it. It's a little bit of aging to it, so maybe a little more concentrated, but not as, not that much. But then you get the tannin and the acidity that like really envelops your your, yeah. your palate. But having this with, I mean, you think about like where people come from. The wine was meant to go in some way with food. Somewhat. I know that you took issue with that when we did our, our food wine pairing episode. Um, but they they do have in mind of like the, the cuisine that they eat. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, um, they eat a lot of river trout here. They eat a lot of river fish, yeah. which are typically less fatty than like salmon, for sure. Um, you know, that's something that you would probably see on a menu. Like yeah. a whole fish with maybe some moral mushrooms and uh, a little like uh, berouge sauce, butter and red wine over the, the, the white fish. And you would have something like this with it. And it would, yeah. it would work really, really well. I, can, I mean, my issue with the wine and food thing, not to rehash the entire discussion we had before, but it's just, it's the... Let's do it. Let's do no, it. No, but your, your palate's your palate, right? Yeah. Like it's, 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 if you want to drink... A sixteen point five cab from Napa Valley with this overwhelming structure, with a salad of shrimp on top of it, and that's your jam. Do it. More power to you. Like, <laughs> awesome. Like great for you. If you want to drink a unoak Chardonnay from from you know the Macon Village with a bone and ribeye, fabulous. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. It's actually a good pairing. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. It, it, it's the it, it's really what drives me nuts about the wine world is, here we go it, well, it, it, it's not it's not supposed to be exclusive it's not a club that you can only belong to if you are sophisticated or you have money or you have this talent or you know you dress a certain way or you know, bullshit no wine is for everyone the it's it started as a drink for everyone it should still be for everyone it's about you and what you're into and no one should be able to tell you that you're you're, you're doing it wrong and it's why it drives me crazy uh, and the 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 best people in in my opinion the best people that i've met in the wine world we all have our opinions right like you know it's obviously <laughs> the but the, we all have our opinion about what we like and what we think does you know something better than other places and 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 that's cool but no one tells you that it's gospel. It's just it's this is what this is what I found, and they're excited to tell you about it because it gets it, it gets them geeked up. It gets them you know they're, they're passionate about it, but they never tell it to you as factual, as in you need to think this way too. Those are the best people, and and because it's inviting, they want to hear what you think, they want to hear what you're into, and it just. It, just creates this great dynamic where you can all be sitting around and enjoying whatever it is. There's no judgment. There's none of that. There's no pretentiousness. It's it's what it's supposed to be. It's people coming together, which is what wine is supposed to be in the first place. Yeah. Rant over. Or, <laughs> in my case, when my family is gone sitting in a dark room with a bottle by myself staring at the wall. <laughs> Eating uh, paydays are usually what I like. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. See, peanuts. Peanuts, exactly. Peanut, there you go. So there's a there's a. Uh, are you done with my book? No, I, I, said, I, I, I said I said <laughs> rant over. I so, said rant over. 
So um, there could be another one coming, but that one is over. So just going back to the Shannon real quick, like as the wines develop, it's really cool how they change, and, and I really encourage like people to to sit with a bottle of wine. I mean, like, yeah, you know, obviously if you're like us, it's it's easy to do, but even if you're not a big wine person, to sit with a glass for the course of a couple of hours and swirl it and see how it changes. Um, I'm getting a little more of like on the 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 Samore, I'm getting a little more of like a almost like a, like a reminds me a little bit of like when I was a kid like cream corn um, so like like a sweet buttery cream corn and uh, and the Shinon there's a wine store in the Cambridge Somerville border called the Wine and Cheese Cask and I've been going there for many many years I've never sold wine to them before because uh, I just like shopping in the store and sometimes I just want to you know, separation church to state and um what I love about going in that store, they have an amazing cheese selection. They have amazing charcuterie selection that they cut fresh for you. And you walk in and the store smells like funky cheese. Like if you walk in, like if I walked into my kid's bedroom, I would be disgusted. But if I'm walking into a, a cheese store, I'm in, it's, I'm elated. So to me, it's like walking into that kind of like funky, earthy aromas of the Shino now reminds me of like walking into the wine and cheese cask and walking in, I would go out and this is like part of the courtship of, of my wife. I would walk in and I would buy some special cheese and I'd buy some special charcuterie and I'd hand select a special bottle of wine. And um, this wine smells like that store, like every part of that store. It's really cool. That's, that's awesome palette your memory on display right there Frick on both those it's fantastic which is why you're never wrong when you smell it which is yeah which is the coolest like and, and that's what it should do it should like take you someplace and i mean like so what got actually what got me into wine was it wasn't the white zin um debatable well it got it, that <laughs> That got me into willing to approach wine, but really, like what really clicked, I was working at this uh, French restaurant in Boston, which is still there, called the Zygamont, and we were in what we call the caboose, which is like this little small room, like a quarter the size of this, that the servers would go and sit and complain about customers and managers, and sometimes sneak wine in. And um, and I was in there, and the, the sommelier at the time, Jeffrey Fallon, who I think left the wine world altogether, but South and Western Mass now, handed me a glass of wine. He goes, what do you smell? And it was Sancerre. And I said, the only, I said, this is not gonna make sense to anybody in this room. This reminds me of the shed behind my grandmother's house in Hermosillo, Mexico. And I didn't know why until my wife and I went to go plan our wedding. And uh, we got to my aunt's, well, my grandmother's house, who passed away, my aunt lived there, who later passed away, but like, that was the family home that we used to go to when I was a little kid. And they met us outside we finally arrived and the whole street is lined with lime trees this must have been 2003 the whole street's lined with lime trees so when we get out of the car you just smell lime leaf everywhere that's a smell in Sancerre yep the next morning um you know she made some fresh tortillas and, and Mexican chorizo and, and coffee and there was this little kid who I'd never met before in my entire life he was somehow a family member of somebody I don't know but he was like eight I hadn't been there in 20 something years and I was already like 30, 
two at the time. And um, I don't remember. No, yeah, tw no, 32, 33, something like that. And I'm going out, I went outside and we were playing soccer in the backyard. There's a little patch of grass and we're kicking the ball around. You can smell the grass, but it was also dusty. The dust is coming up and these are all smells and suns there. Um, there was a mango tree in the backyard that was super ripe because they were picking mangoes off that tropical fruits that smell and suns there. The shed behind her house, I should, you know, was made of limestone, which is the freaking soils of suns there. And in that shed that I used to play when I was a little kid, there's a big giant industrial sink basin. And they used to wash my naked body in this basin when I was a kid. And in fact, it actually was, it was the woman who would help my grandmother clean. Her name was Maria. I, had a huge, I was in love with her. She was my first crush. I was like four or five and embarrassed. She saw me naked, with, no, but she was like beautiful. And, um, but next to that little sink basin, or giant sink basin, was a box of powdered Tide soap that smells like Fun Dip or Lick and Stick. Like it, it, it's, yeah. it, it's not, it doesn't smell like the, li like the liquid crap. It's like the powdery soap smells like Fun Dip. It smells kind of sweet. And like all these things, I was like, crap this is why that sunset brought me here and it made me feel like a, like I remember back to being a child but like these memories are so encompassed in in what we smell what we taste um and that's why that's why i do what i do i don't know about you i'm thrown down no it, it, it's it's why wine to me has always been so appealing is that you know that it takes you someplace else i mean the 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 old world, right? When, when, where it's labeled by place, like what we're drinking right now. The idea is the wine is unique to that place, and when you're drinking it, you'll be taken there when, when you mm -hmm. have it. Uh, I've never been to Chinon, so I'm not going to be taken to Chinon when, when I drink this wine. But I'm still taken somewhere because you know there there are memories that that are evoked again. So I and I have a um, I have a, a a lilac bush in the front of my house. And the first oh, thing so that, jealous. you know, the first thing that I, I thought when I smelled this was, oh, my God, like, this is this is my lilac bush for the for the for the four week period where it's it's, it's there, you know, uh, and that's that's cool. Uh, the wherever wherever it takes you is is it's personal and it's unique and it's, you know, I, other beverages are fantastic for all like Miller High Life is my jam man I will drink a Miller High Life all day long but I'm not taking someplace it's just refreshing and 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 you know and carbonated and after a long day it just it goes down smooth yeah. but I'm not taking someplace to Miller High Life um, wine can evoke that emotion that experience of those connections in, in, in some capacity that just other beverages can't do and that's you know you and and everyone can do it's not just you, me, or you. that was one of the first times you would try to a wine. You were like, oh, this I, you know, yeah. the back of grandma's house, of grandma's shed. Like anyone can do it. It's not. We we all have experiences and whatnot that we can relate to, and you just have to be open to it. That's yeah, all. and 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 it it is even like tasting and 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 smelling and trying to build aromas. I mean, it is. It's it's not a magic trick. You well, you, know, but it, you didn't even you didn't even say but you didn't even say lime leaf. Yeah. You just said it smells like it was a generic. Like no one knows what that that, that is. Yeah. 
like the person next to you might have said lime leaf and mango and and tide soap and whatever it was. Yeah. And you'd have been like, oh yeah, whatever. You already made the connection. You don't have to. No, the person uh, next to me said it, it smelled like the um, workbench at their grandfather's farm. And they, they didn't say that at all. No. So they were just trying to one-up you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that was. Well, to like, me, it smells like the time oh. I was on the moon. <laughs> no, but it's, it is so true Like that, that um, all these things are so personal. And uh, by the way, I'm so jealous about the, the lilac because I want to have that's my favorite my favorite time of the year is that first weekend in May when lilacs are in bloom and they're everywhere and I, like I am not I do not have a green thumb um, I can kill mint which is impossible to do because mint is like a weed Fabulous. Um, but the smell of flowers to me is such a, a, a beautiful thing in fact many years ago I have a good friend uh, woman Kate Munson who wanted to learn about wine. And so we would do these wine classes. And one was, and it was helpful for me because I was learning about wine. So um, I would start studying, like we did the Loire ones and Bordeaux and we went to the Rhone. And with, for Burgundy, I would always give her homework. I said, your homework is to go out and walk in a field of flowers and smell. Um, and it was springtime. And when you start doing that and you start compositing all these different smells like smell like they say like walk like stop and smell the flowers it's for for us it's an important thing to do you know you have that memory of the lilac and you can pull that out in the in the chinon um you know and i'm jealous because i want a lilac tree and my wife says when we own a house and apparently in massachusetts uh we don't make nearly enough money to ever own a home so yeah i know no one does yeah so i'm just never gonna have that and it makes (laughs) me sad Thanks for bringing that up, Adam. Sorry. It's a horrible day. It's well, a horrible day. I didn't mean to, promise. No, no. But he brings up cheese and, and fabulous meat and all this other stuff he's doing, and, and there's there's no issues there. But I bring up a freaking lilac. <laughs> <laughs> like, the tears come streaming down. It's very sad. Um, yeah, so anyways, these are two new wines we have. This is supposed to be a one-minute segment. Um I, I think these are great wines. I think these they're are really fun. They're affordable. They're amazing food wines. Um, yeah. And yeah. I mean, these are delicious. I mean, really, the guess the thing too. We can geek out all day long about how complex and unique a wine is, but at the end of the day, we're both like. Yeah, like, oh my God, what are you smelling? I'm getting this, I'm getting that, blah, blah, blah structure. Uh, but what do you think of the wine? Yeah, it's meh. Yeah. Well, what was the point? They're really good. <laughs> like, they're really good. They're, they're, they're friggin' tasty. So, on top of all the geeky nonsense we just went through, that they're both delicious on top of it, which helps. Yeah. I mean, it's bottom of the bottle for a reason, folks. These will be gone soon. Yeah. You want to be able to get the end of it. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so well, uh, do, you, do you want to put on uh, uh, Frankie Venus one more Frankie, time? How dare you? I had a moment, man, okay? It happens. <laughs> oh, it's so I, funny. I was doing so, uh, I was doing a dinner with um, one of our other portfolios, and one of the wines that we were doing was the LVE. It was a, I was savoring a bottle of the LVE sparkling 
rosé, which I nailed, by the way, um, meaning I almost nailed the people that were sitting around me because the bottle exploded. But I couldn't remember the name. And I had the supplier there. like, And I'm like, this is the J, the J. And, and one of the, the rep who has the account goes, just look at the bottle, dummy. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? We just did a shot of Fernet beforehand, so you leave me alone. Mm. Let's lead out with a little bit of doing all right, because these wines make me feel good. And and I encourage shots of Fernet for all of you. Not, but for not Fernet and Pepsi, the bomb. You do that. Someone is anyone who listens in Argentina is so mad at you right now. <laughs> it's Fernet and Coke, people. Fernet and Coke. <laughs> Fernet and Coke. We have a fabulous Fernet story. We have several fabulous Fernet stories. You'll hear them one day. Speaking of that, I told you Matthew from uh, our trip to Argentina knows uh, knows our friend Britt. Uh, Matthew Bills? Yes. Three-legged dog? Knows our friend Britt. That is so funny. So this will fade out as we're talking, but we were in Argentina, and there was a guy who... Yeah, he was a handsome, there was a place, Englishman. He was being kidnapped. <laughs> After a long day of drinking, he drank a bottle of uh, uh, a concrete age ball back to his hotel room. And then went out to his club and said, and now we're going Anyway, 